was a college student at Cambridge University and overnight became a sensation in England in the late 1800s because he was really good at cricket, not the insect, the sporting game. And as a very young man, he was thrust onto the national scene because he was so good at what he did. He was, uh, he was really good as a hitter. He represented England um, very, uh, as a young man, everywhere he would go, people would want autographs. And the next year, his, bro- his brother, George, got really sick. And one night laying on his bed, C.T. Studd, was confronted with this question in his mind. What is all the fame and flattery worth when a man comes to face eternity? As he began to think about and lay on his bed and think about all that his life was about, he was from a rich family. He now had prestige in the eyes of the nation. He was, would have been at the time the, on the Wheaties box or the, or the face of Sports Illustrated. This question came to his mind, and later he would say, I know that cricket would not last, and honor would not last, and nothing in this world would last, but it was worthwhile living for the world to come. He and six other guys gave themselves to serve as missionaries with Hudson Taylor in China. They were called the Cambridge Seven. They were students of Cambridge. They were Uh, well-respected. They came from good backgrounds. And in the eyes of the nation, especially for Studd, because he was now a young athletic national hero, they were basically in the eyes of people turning their back on everything that was important to basically throw their lives away and go to China. He went and served in China. He later served in, in India. He had four daughters with his wife, and he was convinced that God gave him four daughters in in order to show people in different cultures that baby girls mattered in the culture. When he went to India, the reputation of the church that he pastored was, a man does not go to that place unless he means to be converted, (laughs) which tells you what Stud was about. He came back to England, and he was walking down the street, and he saw Uh, a billboard, a sign that said, cannibals need the gospel too. And he began to hear about the work in the Congo. And he spent almost the last 20 years of his life living in the Congo. His wife had sickness and she had to stay behind in England. And he lived there. And in one of his journals, he said, I went out to the meeting running like 102 temperature. I came back from the meeting sick as well. People are getting right with God at considerable sacrifice. Stud died in Africa at age 70. And what I love about Stud was that he was reckless in the right way. He weighed what the culture and the nation and people said is worth living for. And then he weighed what God was doing and had been doing throughout all human history. And he considered Jesus to be worth more. And when we're thinking through our core values, and this is the last morning that we'll do this, and our worship services the last couple weeks have been a little different as we start this year. We're singing a little less and going to try to preach a little less so that we can pray a little more at the end. This morning we're taking the Lord's Supper together, and I think it's appropriate 
that we end our core values, taking, going through our core values, taking the Lord's Supper together to remind ourselves that the only thing ultimately that we all have in common is Jesus. But he's made us a people, and for all eternity we'll be together if we're in Christ, with Christ, thankful for what he's done. And I think it's appropriate, by the way, I should have told you already to go to Luke 24, that's where we'll be. I get on other preachers when they are 10 minutes in their message and nobody knows what text we're going to talk from. So Luke 24, but have your thumbs like ready because we're going to be flipping through a few passages of scripture. This is where we will end our reminder of our core values and it's this word mission. At Crosspoint, we exist to glorify God by committing ourselves to God's truth, God's people, and God's mission. And in a lot of ways, mission is almost the reason for the other two, or it explains the other two. It explains truth. It explains people. Because what we find is when we go to the Bible, we find that God has been doing something for our entire human history. And we'll get to that in just a minute. And what we find is, as we read the Bible, we will come across passages like Luke 24 that aren't there, check this out, to give us the mission. It's to remind us what the mission has always been. Now, that's important. Because I don't want what we're supposed to do and called to do, I don't want it to rest upon a couple proof texts. When I look at the Bible, I find out that God's been doing the same thing. And we'll get to that in just a minute. Now, I want you to notice that we don't have an S on the end of this. We are not committed to, check this out, missions. Now, we will do missions, but we are committed to God's mission. Now, let me define something, and then we'll get to the text. The word mission is kind of one of those words that's not an English word. It became an English word because we didn't, um, and, and you English people can help me out later on and tell me what I'm trying to describe. There's probably like one word that does that, so you can tell me that later. We, we ripped this off from Latin. The word mission comes from the Latin missio, which means send or sending. And so properly, for us to think rightly, mission, check this out, refers to the sending of God or God's work or what God has been doing. Missions, plural, is our response and our participation in what God has always been doing. Does that make sense? So mission singular is God's work. It's what God has always been doing. We'll see it in the text this morning. Missions is our response in this time, and this is a real good way for us to always kind of check ourselves, because I'm afraid to say it, but possibly today there are some things being done as missions that really don't sync up with the mission. Maybe an imbalance, maybe a wrong focus, but we should always ask ourselves the missions that we do, what we are a part of. Does it sync up to the mission? So at Crosspoint, check this out. We're committed, and we'll fill in the blanks here in just a minute. We're committed to participate and be a part of and join in what God is doing, God's mission. Luke chapter 24, let's go to the text. 
Let's read 44 through 49. Luke 24, 44 through 49. This is after the resurrection. Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. And notice what he says, beginning in verse 44. Then he, that's Jesus, said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Again, when we read a passage like this, we're not, we don't go to this passage and we say, well, this is what we're supposed to do. It does exist in that way. But this passage is there to remind us what God's always been doing. So this morning, the title of the message simply comes from our mission statement, purpose statement as a church. We commit ourselves to God's mission. We give you three truths this morning from this passage and then, as Justin's done the last couple of weeks, let's apply it. Let's remind ourselves of what we are committing to here at Cross Point Church. Now, we don't claim to have it all figured out. We don't claim to have a, a corner on, on everything. But what we're putting before you this morning is what we are convinced of theologically, doctrinally, and missiologically, meaning... We believe that what we believe about mission, the Bible gives evidence of that. We're not just like copying the Bible to our ideas. We're going to the Bible and we're saying, okay, what is God doing? Okay, this is what God's doing. Okay, we're going to believe that. And we're not going to bat a thousand at it. We're not going to shoot 40% from the floor for it. But you know what? At the end of the day, we're going to try really hard to make sure what we're about as a church matches up to what God's been doing for all time. What do we see in this passage tells us about God's mission and how we commit ourselves to it. First, I want you to see the entire Bible is about God's Messiah, Jesus Christ. The entire Bible is about God's Messiah, Jesus Christ. Verse 44, Jesus says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me. Now notice what he says, in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now what's he talking about? If you pull out your Bible or your table of contents in your Bible, the table of contents in the English Bible will begin with Genesis, and then it will end with Malachi. Psalms in the middle. Like, you just grab a Bible, you flip it open to somewhere, quote, in the middle, you'll probably hit Psalms, okay? Like, you notice this? We're in year two of reading the Psalms, and we're just in the 50s right now? But there's portions of the Old Testament. We have the Law of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy. We've got history, right? Joshua through Second Chronicles. We've got a poetry section of Job and Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. Then we've got the major prophets, Jeremiah and Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Then we've got the 12, the minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai. I have to say it fast because that's how I learned it in Bible drills. Is it Malachi? No, it's Malachi. Is it Habakkuk? It's Habakkuk or Habakkuk. And 
What's amazing here is that when Jesus says the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, that is the way that the Jews organize the Old Testament. And even today, if you get a copy of the Hebrew Scriptures, the way it's organized is it begins with the law of Moses. That's Genesis through Deuteronomy. But then what's really interesting is the prophets come next. And then it ends with the Psalms was a, a, a division, a, a, an umbrella term to basically refer to everything that wasn't the law of Moses and wasn't the prophets. And so what is Jesus saying? He is saying that when you take the law of Moses and you take the prophets and you take the Psalms, when you boil it down, it is all about him. Now that's nuts. Because when we go to the Old Testament, we don't find the name Jesus once. It's much bigger than that. Jesus is saying, not only is the Old Testament all about me, there are tons of places in the Old Testament that make promises and prophecies about me. <laughs> Think how egotistical it would be, but doesn't it happen in our day when people open the Bible, they say, well, this is all about me. They may not say that, but they mean that, right? Because they only care about the blessings of God and not the responsibilities that God gives. They translate commands for bondage and legalism, right? And so all they really care about is a little proof text that they can copy and put on their, the back of their uh, uh, car. Like Philippians 4.13 was not written like five minutes before the NFC divisional playoff game, okay? It was written not by a multi-million dollar athlete. It was written by a, a, a poor tent maker who was rotting away in a Roman jail and yet had joy above all things. The point is, oftentimes humanity will come to the Bible and say, it's all about me, when in reality, Jesus is the only one that can open the Bible and say, it's all about me. <laughs> and so he's, notice what he does in verse 45. He opens their minds, check this out, to understand the scriptures. What does that mean? He, he's not trying to say, this is what Ezekiel 36, 20 means. He's not saying this is what Psalm 1-1 means. What he's saying is this is what Genesis through Malachi are about. They're ultimately about the one that God would send to accomplish the mission of God. Isn't that amazing? The word mission itself means sinned. And so the way that some of the early church fathers interpreted it and the way that people down the ages have interpreted it is the mission of God centers around the sending of one from heaven to earth to proclaim and demonstrate what God is all about. And his name is Jesus. Now, let's go to the Old Testament real quick. Go back to Genesis. I just want to read, okay? Like, no preaching, just, just reading. Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> and you, you got to try to keep up some, thumb, some thumbs with me. Not on the screen, just keep up with me. Adam and Eve sin, Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring 
He, the offspring, shall bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. An announcement to Satan that somebody is going to come and crush the enemy's head. Jesus. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Chapter 18. Deuteronomy. Chapter 18. Verse 15. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. Moses is talking. Deuteronomy 18, 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command you. This is why people got ticked off in the New Testament when Jesus said that he had come down. They couldn't fathom the fact that somebody was supposed to be like Moses and it's this guy it's this carpenter, it's this, it's this poor guy from this podunk town called Nazareth. Not only was Jesus like Moses, he was greater than Moses. That's what the book of Hebrews is about. Isaiah. Go to the right. Isaiah chapter 9. Good old Christmas verse, and it works the rest of the year as well. Isaiah 9 verse 6. Prophecy. For to us a child is born. Humanity. To us a son is given. Deity. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Sovereignty. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Shepherd. Mighty God. Powerful. Everlasting Father. Eternal Prince of peace. Jesus. You know what these passages are saying? I could give you several more. If you're taking notes, here's just a couple more. Isaiah 11.1. Isaiah 61.1. Micah 5.2. 2 Samuel 7.12-13. And there's a ton more. You know what the Bible's saying? Somebody's coming. Somebody's coming. Adam and Eve, you messed it up. And the whole race is fallen. And the whole race is in sin. But check this out. Somebody's coming. Somebody's coming. Somebody's coming. The Bible says that Abraham believed the Lord and his testimony. And the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham didn't understand, but God said, hey, I'm going to bless all nations through you because Messiah will come through you. That's what God was saying. And in the Old Testament, they didn't understand it fully, but they knew something. Somebody's coming. And so in Luke chapter 24, when Jesus says, hey, it's all about me. Everything written about me is going to be fulfilled. This is what he's saying. He opened their mind, so they said, oh, that's what the Old Testament's about. There was no New Testament then. The Old Testament was their Bible. That's why you should love the Old Testament and read it and study it and know it. Because that was the Bible of Jesus. That was the Bible of the early church. That was the Bible of the apostles. Is the Old Testament. 
Leviticus, just as inspired, inerrant, infallible as John. (laughs) Because it's all about the Messiah. Secondly, I want you to see the entire Bible is about God's mission. What is that? To pursue and save fallen and sinful people for his own glory. What is the mission of God? What is God doing? Jesus tells us in verse 45, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus, it's written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. When you go to the Old Testament, you find out that people are messed up. Anybody in here messed up? Y'all lying if y'all ain't nodding and raising a hand. I see, I, see, I see that hand. Yeah. We're all jacked up and messed up. But you know what's amazing in the Old Testament? God's response to sinners is not to run away from them and close his eyes and ears against them. When Adam and Eve sinned, as soon as they eat the fruit, Genesis 3-7 says that they realized they were naked. Shame came. Guilt came. And the next verse starts this way. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. What grace that the moment that we sin and blow it, here he comes. And what does he do? He asks Adam, Where are you? God doesn't need that. God's not looking for a GPS direction. God is revealing to Adam and Eve that they're not with him, that sin is separated. And later on in that passage, you know what God does? God kills an animal. God sheds blood. God clothes them with the animal skins. It was a picture that this is what God's going to be about. God responds to our sin by pursuing us, by revealing himself, and by redeeming us for his glory. Books of Exodus starts this way. God reveals himself to, to Israel, and this is what he says. I have heard the cries of my people, and I'm going to send you down that you could bring them out. What gospel it is that God sent a deliverer, a type, a picture of what Jesus would do. Moses goes down, and God brings them up out of slavery. They're saved from a night of judgment when the Lord comes through and strikes Israel, but they're saved from a lifetime of slavery. And God brings them out. If you read the Old Testament, you're just like, man, these people were a bunch of idiots, man. He split the Red Sea, and, a co- and a, like a week later, they're complaining. They don't have anything to eat. And then God provides manna. And then they say, we're tired of this manna. Give us something else. And we do the same thing, don't we? God comes through, and we're like, we'll never forget this. And like a week later, we're just like, grumble, 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 grumble. Right? You got the same spiritual and physical DNA that <laughs> they did. But you know what? God redeems them. God pursues them. What you find in the Old Testament is that God just doesn't have his eyes set on this group of people, these 12 tribes. What you find out is that the reason that God selected Israel and chose them as his covenant people was not to exclude the nations, but was to include the nations. Listen to what Solomon prays, and, and, I, and I just want you to listen to it. This is in 1 Kings chapter 8. Listen to what he says. This is towards the end of his prayer. This is in 1 Kings eight fifty seven. Listen. 
The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us. May he incline our hearts to him that we may walk in his ways to keep his commandments, his statutes, his rules as he commanded the fathers. Why? Check this out. Let these words of mine which I have pleaded before the Lord be near to the Lord our God day and night. And may he maintain the cause of his servant that the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. The psalmist prays in Psalm 67, Lord, would you bless us and make your face shine upon us that your way may be proclaimed among all the nations. And then he prays twice in that psalm, may the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. And you see in the Old Testament, this is what you find. and This is what Jesus is hinting at. God's heart just isn't for one small group of people. God's heart is for every people. And so when you get back to Luke 24, Jesus says, hey, you know why God could save Israelites in the Old Testament? You know why God could include people like Ruth the Moabite and Zipporah the Midianite and Uriah the Hittite and Rahab the Canaanite and all of these pagans They turn from their gods and they begin to worship the God of Israel. You know why God could forgive them and bring them in? And you know why God could put up with Israel so much? Because in Luke 24, 46, it says that Christ would suffer and die and rise on the third day. And you see, the entire mission of God is centered in on an afternoon while the Passover lambs were being slain in the temple complex, the real lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world was killed outside. The sins of the world were put upon him. And because the sins of the world were put upon him, those who repent and believe the gospel can be a part of God's people because God himself is the one that took the first step. He should take the first step. He sent his son in the fullness of time. And so what's the mission of God? Pursuing messed up people like us to reveal himself, to redeem himself. But you know why he does it? He does it for his own glory. He does it so that the nations will know that he alone is God. And that's why you and I contributed nothing to our salvation except the sin that made it necessary. If you're saved this morning, it's not because you're a great person. It's because (laughs) we're sinners. That's what makes us candidates for salvation. Did you know that? That we are completely jacked up. There's no hope. That's why there's only one truth, one gospel, one way, because there's no other way to save people like us except if God comes and takes our place. And he did. And Jesus says, notice what he says in verse 47. Because the Christ suffered and on the third day rose from the dead, repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed. You see, the proclamation of the gospel demands that we turn from what we are trusting in to save ourselves and turn to the only thing that can save us, the Lord Jesus. And what's sad is possibly some of you and many in our community trust their works, they trust their self-righteousness, they trust something they did when they were seven years old that didn't change their life, they trust just trying to do a little better because in their mind they don't think they got a sin problem. If you don't have a sin problem, if I don't have a sin problem, Jesus, Jesus wasted his life by dying on the cross. If righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. But Christ died for nothing because you and I have such a great need, and Jesus alone meets that need. Jesus says here, 
that this gospel should be proclaimed to, in his name to all nations. Now, this is what's so amazing. You know why we get angry at false teaching? You know why even in our covenant with you and our membership covenant, we, we say that we want to protect you from false teaching. And if there's false teaching, we want to call it out. Not because like we're trying to be like a, like a, you know, a deer sniper or something. Like we're not trying to do that. But false teaching isn't the gospel. And this country exports garbage and calls it the gospel. But that gospel of prosperity and wealth and health and just speak it into being, I can't go to a New Delhi slum and preach that gospel. I can't say, hey, God will turn your bamboo into a mansion. But you know what I can do? Anywhere, anytime, place, I can say, you and I have a great need. We are in rebellion against God. We've created God in our image. We live sinful lives. We only think about ourselves. We've done things that we're ashamed of. And in love, the living and true God came down to this earth. He lived a perfect life that none of us have lived. He went to the cross. He took on all of our sin and all of our punishment and everything that should fall on us out of his kindness. He did it. And that gospel can be preached in any village, in any culture, in any city, to anyone, on any social, uh, in any social class, no matter what their bank account is, no matter where they come from, that gospel rings true throughout this world. And that's what Jesus said proclaim. To all nations. Third, so what's our mission, right? Because that's what we're trying to ask. The mission of the church is joining God in his mission. Jesus says in verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. Witnesses of what? That the entire biblical revelation is about Jesus. That Jesus came, that Jesus suffered and died, that Jesus rose again. How awesome is it in this, in this text, y'all, that the resurrected Christ is saying this? Not a guy that says, hey, I'm going to die tomorrow, and, and you'll see me maybe in a couple days. Like, he stands in flesh, risen from the dead, saying, hey, you're a witness of this. Touch my hands. Touch my side. This is not a defeated Christ, a suffering Christ. This is a victorious Christ who can really say all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me because I just beat the one thing that beats everybody, death. And he says, you know what? You're a witness of these things. The word you there is really encouraging to me because think about who's in that crowd, right? One, well, one of the remaining 11 was the only one that stuck out the cross. Like all the rest of them fled, right? Peter flaked. Everybody else ran out of the garden. John stunk behind. Peter kind of trailed in the dark. Then he got inside. And then servant girl asked him a couple questions and he freaks out again and he leaves. <laughs> the you there is very encouraging to me because the you is like real people. And that's why verse 49 is there. And this is what he says. But you're witness to these things, but stay in the city until you're clothed from power from on high because I'm sending the promise of my Father to you. And check this out. This is what's so great. You and I are too cowardly and timid and selfish and self-centered to be able to be his witnesses. But you know what? He gives us someone to enable us to be his witness. And the work of the Holy Spirit in our life is to continually remind us that we're called not to do our mission. We're called to be a part of his mission. 
We're not called to build our kingdom. We're called to pray, let your kingdom come. We're not here to promote ourselves. We're here to promote him. We're not here to live for our own pursuits and our glory and what we want. We're here to live for him. And so we have to remind ourselves that we're called to be a part of what God has already been doing all the way back to Genesis. That's exciting, isn't it? That our job is joining him. And the amazing part about it is that God invites us. The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. But pray to the Lord of the harvest that he may send out laborers into his harvest. It's his harvest. It's his gospel. It's his church. It's his mission. It's his plan. And you and I get to be a part of it. So let's apply this real quick. So at Cross Point Church, how do we commit to God's mission? And it's the same way we've been talking about the last couple weeks. When you walk out of here, you'll see on the wall, people in place, people in places. Daniel got us some TVs that are going to go over that this week, and we're going to have stuff up there. It'll be a little more noticeable. We are a people in place. We are a people in places. We're a people on mission corporately. We're a people on mission individually. Now let's walk through this real quick. What do we do here at Cross Point Church? Because some of you may wonder, why do y'all like take like a portion of Sunday morning and like pray for like people groups that some of y'all like look and you'd be like, dude, you're from Jones County. You didn't pronounce that word right. And I'd be like, dude, you're from Jones County. Won't you take a stab at it too? You know, you feel me? And we really don't do this, but sometimes it's funny when I just look and I'm not on the people group like scheduled to do, and I'm just like, dude, I really hooked Justin up with a tough one. Like, that's great. Like, good luck, Paul. I think Paul one morning looked up there. He was like, I don't know. Just go with it. You know what I'm talking about? Choose your own adventure. First thing we do corporately is that we pray weekly for unreached people groups, for missionaries, for countries, for local churches. You know why we do that? That's just the beginning point. You know why we do that? It's to remind ourselves, as Allison prayed earlier, that there are so many places on this earth where he is not worshipped. Well, there are so many places on this earth where the worship that should be given to the living and true God is given to images and created things. Where God is robbed of the worship that he deserves, where Christ is robbed of what his death and resurrection deserves, the Son of God, who should be the praise of every tongue, tribe, and nation. That there's places that the gospel hasn't been. And so you know what we do? We pray because Jesus told us to. So when we're praying for this, we're like obeying. Matthew 9, 37 and 38, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Because we can't go everywhere, but you know what we can do? We can touch the one who is everywhere. We can ask him to do and to send people everywhere. Also, let me just say this real quick. We... We pray for local churches. You know why? Because we are not here at Crosspoint in the business of competing against our brothers and sisters. I just want people to be somewhere that teaches the Bible and preaches the gospel. And I hope you're here not to be entertained or because you like the music or you like a preacher or you like this. I hope you understand that like our goal and our aim is to be the local church in our area. And guess what? 
to love all who name the name of Christ and all who preach the gospel and all who <laughs> contend for the faith. So we, so we pray. We do that together. Second thing we do is we give financially. We support local ministries. We support international ministries. If you walk out here and you'll see a, um, a, a global map and there's little, little silver magnets and that's just places on earth where we financially give to. And there's a QR code out there. If you, if you scan that QR code, it'll take you to our website. And you'll see some of these ministries that we support. We support the Choices Clinic here in Laurel because we're so thankful for the fight for life. And we're so thankful that the ministry of the Choices Clinic is, is not just to help people in, in physical health, even though they do that exceptionally well. But you know what? <laughs> in the midst of walking people through that, guess what? They share the gospel. We support Rain Down Ministries locally with our buddy PJ Weeks using the ministry of the, the evidence of creation to proclaim who God is. We support the Glory House. Our students stayed uh, at the Houston Road Campus of the Glory House last week for, for D-Now because we're so thankful for what Grant and Hope do. Globally, we support an orphanage in Uganda that's loving on kids. We're partnered with our buddy Wilfred and his pastors in the Dominican Republic. I'll talk more about that in just a minute. We support an organization called Valiant Call that works with pastors in India and Myanmar. We support a church plant in Fort Worth, Texas called Redemption City Church. And you know what's really cool? Like we've been, Justin's been talking back and forth to their leadership. They may not need us to support them any longer, possibly later this year. Isn't that great? We can go find someone else to invest in. Praise God for that. We financially partner with the International Mission Board, the largest missionary sending organization on earth. The, the missionaries we prayed for that their visa was messed up a few weeks ago, they're with the, the International Mission Board. And so we pray, but we, we give. But also we go. Just put it out, fresh off the press, July 13th through the 19th, we're sending a team back to the Dominican Republic. Info packet out there. Pray about it. Some of you that went last year, you may not be able to go this year. Guess what? It's okay. Some of you are like, man, I want to do that. There it is. We'll be announcing some more information. Go grab that. One of these days, we're going to get people in this room back to India. <laughs> we go. But you just don't have to hop on an airplane to go. Guess what we do? This is what I want us to end on. The second part is that we are a people in places on mission. And what I mean by that is in our small groups and individually. So we're gathered together and we do these things corporately, but then a small groups start this week and what we've been encouraging and, and it doesn't happen as much and so we need to be as intentional as we can. As a small group and as an individual, you need to get into the mindset of seeing God at work and joining God at work. You need to see needs and you need to meet needs. And we don't have to have some big committee meeting to like run things by. Can we just like go do, check this out. If your small group discerns a, a, a need in your community, go meet it. If you see God at work personally, join him there. God brings new people in your life. It's not by coincidence or accident. We've got gospel tracks out there, good gospel tracks, not weird ones that like have weird drawings in them and just like weird, like those, they're good. Take them, they're free. There's no dime box next to them, pass them out. I told a guy the other day, I said, hey man, this tells, this, this tells you about the Jesus that I follow. Would you just take this? And I don't know if you read it or not. 
I wasn't going to ever see him again. Take those. Use them. Maybe we could be like C.T. Studd and say when somebody is around those cross point people, those cross point people care whether or not we follow Jesus. This is how we live like Jesus. Finally, we live with a missional mindset everywhere we are. God has never stopped his mission. Are you thankful? Are you thankful that, that, that the day that you were saved, like, <laughs> that God was on mission that day? <laughs> Aren't you thankful through the season of your life when God humbly and kindly brought you to repentance? Aren't you thankful that God was on mission then? We serve a God who never rotates off his mission. And what that does is that calls us to be spiritually aware and to live with the same type of missional mindset as our God. You are my witnesses. David Platt says it this way, we're plan A and there's no plan B. So we're committed to God's mission. We won't always do it right, y'all. But we won't all of us to understand that our God has been working from all eternity. And in our world, he has been working to reveal and redeem people for his glory, and that's what he's called us to do. So this is what I want us to do as we've been doing the last couple weeks. We're just going to spend some time in prayer. And what's great this morning is we've got like baby commentary on top of our prayer. That's awesome. It's great. Like if somebody just starts shouting, like don't cover their mouth up, just let them go, man. We'll pray over them. Amen. This is what I want us to do. I want us to open up and just pray for this. Praise our God that he is a missionary God, that he came and found us. And I pray that our lives would be about his mission. And it may be, y'all, and, and, and see, this is, how we, this is how we grow as a church. It may be, there may be times in the life of the church that we just don't pray to keep sick people out of heaven, which is a great request to pray, but that we pray corporately for God to keep lost people out of hell. And when we start talking about mission, names and faces and people come to your mind, and it may just be that you're burdened over somebody and you, during a corporate prayer time like this, if it happens this morning, no, if it doesn't, no, no worries. But that you allow us to join in with you praying for somebody that needs Jesus. See what I mean? It's both. We care about the saints, we pray for the saints. We care about the lost, we pray for the lost because our God cares about all. So however the Lord would lead you this morning, let's just sit before him. And as we've done the last couple weeks, as awkward as it is, no keyboard pad in the background because all we need is our God. Let's just talk to him. Let's sit in his presence. As the Lord leads, you guys pray, and in a little bit I'll close us out. So let's go to the Lord in prayer.